you know, I get these reconciliations, the audit, and it's like, guys, why is this so hard? Why does it take forever to get it to me? Why is it not tie out when I get it? Like, what's the deal? What's going on here? And then when you move over into the corporate accounting side, it all, it all clicks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, today we have an accountant that, like some of our previous guests, realized there was an unmet need out there in the marketplace while doing their normal, everyday job, and then decided to do something about it. Mike Whitmire, the co-founder of Flowcast, an accounting close management solution, joined us for today's episode. Mike's career started like many do. He majored in accounting. He worked in a traditional role right out of college, and then he moved into industry. It was at that time, though, that Mike realized there was a lack of efficiency in how closing is handled, and not just where he worked, but elsewhere as well. It was at that point that he made the decision to leave his employment, to leave his job, and create a software software solution to fix the problem. Add in a couple co-founders and a few rounds of fundraising as well. And now we have Flowcast, a closed management software as a service company with many, many customers. This really is a great story. If you have a little entrepreneurial spirit yourself, or if you just enjoy a really good story, you're going to appreciate this interview. If you do learn something from this episode, please share it on social media. We're very active on LinkedIn and on Facebook as well. If you see our post or if you haven't liked our page yet, please do so. But when you see those posts, if you wouldn't mind sharing it out, I'd really appreciate it. It helps others find us. So, so appreciated. It really warms my heart when I see those shares on social media. And if you already have, thank you so much. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Mike Whitmire, the co-founder of Flowcast. Well, hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, Susan. Thank you so much for having me on today. No problem. Well, for the audience, we have an entrepreneurial guest for you today on the show, Mike Whitmire, the founder of Flowcast, that's F-L-O-Q-A-S-T, is joining us for the program. And Mike, really like all of us, also started his career as an accountant. However, his career eventually went down the path of starting an accounting software company. So we're going to cover Mike's early career and how he got started, you know, as an accountant, of course. But then we're also going to get into the decision-making process and hopefully the motivation behind him starting Flowcast. This should barely be a very, very interesting discussion. Well, Mike, it really is important for us to understand how you got started and how you got to where you are now. So let's start at the beginning. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career in the first place? Yes, a pretty classic answer, I would say. So my family comes from a background of accounting and law. And so my my dad was a tax attorney and ended up writing a textbook about super nerdy stuff around partnership taxation. And then my mom is an accountant and runs a bookkeeping firm that provides business uh, consulting services as well. You can kind of think of her as an outsourced CFO. And so I just kind of came up in this world and was used to this finance stuff. I actually, and then I ended up going to college and, and from LA originally and went to school on the East Coast. So I went to Syracuse. And oddly enough, when I went to Syracuse, I actually wanted to major in film. I thought that's what I was going to end up doing. And 
I quickly realized film was not something I wanted to major in. I transferred over to the business school and just started taking a couple different business classes and, you know, looked at them and the, the finance program at Syracuse isn't the best. And so I would have had a really difficult time getting a decent job coming out of that. I didn't respect many of the other majors like marketing <laughs> and HR and all that kind of stuff. And then took accounting, actually enjoyed it and was pretty good at it. And there was something about the first time that balance sheet reconciled when you go through the journal entries that just clicked for me. And I realized it was this kind of this beautiful puzzle that was not as much about math and numbers as you would be led to believe. It's more about like understanding of business concepts and how what things are occurring and then how you translate that into numbers and how journal entries get booked. So I came away actually thinking like, wow, accounting is a lot more interesting than I think I gave it credit for or most of the world gives it credit for. So yeah, I just took it and, and decided to keep going with it and uh, really happy that I majored in it because it's been, I would say that decision is one of the best decisions I've, I've ever made. And it's been just so instrumental in helping get to where I am today with Flowcast uh, and everything I learned along the way. So. Interesting. You know, you're right. That is one of the more traditional influences for us accountants that it's about a third of the people we interview for the podcast that had some family member that influenced them, whether it was both or an uncle, you know, or parents. But yeah, you're right. That is very, very common. Interesting. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I think if you don't come from this world, there's some pretty nasty stereotypes about it. And so you might just be anti-accounting out the gate. But if you grow up with people who do it, I think you have a very different perspective of the industry. Definitely. So how did you get your first professional position out of school or in school? How did you get your career started? Well, one of the great things about Syracuse is they have a, a great relationship with the big four firms. And so almost everyone leaves the accounting program there with a job in big four. And for the most part, it's going to be in the New York City or New Jersey area. For, the, for those who don't know, Syracuse is in upstate New York. And so they do heavy recruiting out of there. I had no interest in staying on the East Coast. I had a great time in college. I loved the people I met. I met my wife. I met my co-founder. Great people. But I just cannot deal with the snow. And so I wanted to move back to LA and sort of had to hack my way into this. So what I did was I went through the interview process with the big four firms under the guise that I was going to go to New York. And I went through the process and EY ultimately made me an offer. And when they came to me, I was like, you know, love the offer. Thank you so much. I am interested in moving to LA. Is, is that possible? Like, can I, you know, how does that work? Would love to understand if I could interview there. And I was kind of terrified asking the question because I thought the recruiter would, would be really frustrated. <laughs> I feel like you just wasted a lot of of my time, but they were really accommodating. They introduced me to the, the EYLA HR and recruiting team, and they actually put me on a plane, flew me out to LA. I did the interview process, went through it, and just a, a couple hours after wrapping up the interview, I got a call from the partner making me the offer and and you know getting me to move out to LA. So that was really exciting. And I actually had a pretty funny story on the way back from LA to Syracuse. I was going to land and literally go from the airport to my audit class to take our midterm. And I'm studying for the midterm in New Jersey because that's where the layover was at New Jersey airport. And I just missed my flight because I'm so focused on studying that I just missed the flight to get out. And I'm freaking out. Like I never, I don't do things like that. So I'm just in complete panic mode. I'm calling the audit professor. I'm emailing him, explaining what's going on. And I finally get him on the phone and all he goes, all right, well, did you get the job? And I'm like, yeah, I got the job. He goes, okay, you can take it tomorrow. 
allows it. So let me take the test a day late. And it makes sense because he's the one who is in charge of recruiting. So whether, you know, placement rates for him are insanely important. So I think it was a question asked in jest, but I'm still not sure to this day because I, I did get the offer. <laughs> that is pretty funny. That is. I don't know if bait and switch interview method is a term or not, but that, <laughs> what you were describing it. Oh, by the way, do you mind if I yeah, go to LA? You know? I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I do have a long history of hacking my way into things that I probably should uh, get into. Like Syracuse itself is one great example. I, uh, I applied to the nursing program because I was way more likely to get into the nursing program than the film program. Um, and so that was how I hacked my way into Syracuse, actually. So, yeah, I, I kind of have a long history of doing things like this. You just got to be, <laughs> be creative and make it work. And it can be really good for your career if, if you can figure it out. You figure out how to get things done. Even, <laughs> even if yeah, little... no, exactly. And I think that might be like a bit of the accounting mindset as well. You know the rules, but then by knowing the rules so well, you know how to bend those rules a little bit and get what you need. Okay. Okay. So how did your experience with EY go? What was valuable about that experience? And I guess, how long were you in the big four? And how did that help you later on? Yeah, I was in the big four for about three and a half years. And when I got to EY in Los Angeles, media and entertainment, obviously rules, rules the land. And so I ended up in that group and found myself on more so the mid-market production companies. And so I had um, Lionsgate Production was one of my clients. Another one by the name of Mark Burnett Productions. They do Survivor and The Apprentice and all that good stuff. Another one was a smaller record label that has a lot of libraries of old jazz compilations and stuff like that. So I will say, while I was doing audit, I did not enjoy it. It's a difficult job and you work a ton of hours, you know, but the benefits are you build great relationships, you have a great team of people you're working with. And I really didn't appreciate this until I got to Cornerstone, but you're able to learn so much about business and how businesses operate through the numbers, um, that it really ends up being this amazing learning experience, whether you know it or not. And I actually wish, you know, if I, if I reflect on my time at EY, I think I did a pretty good job of trying to learn as much as I could just kind of by nature of, of how I am. But I wish I really doubled down on that and thought like, okay, this time at EY is super valuable and I'm going to be able to learn how companies run, which will help me start my own company one day and grow it. Um, and that would have made me just that much more effective, but it ended up working out. And I think that is a very underrated part of a big four at large, like the whole idea of it being a good learning experience is really kind of jaded because people think that when someone says it's a good learning experience, that's just code for you're going to work a ton of hours and get ready for it, which, you know, oftentimes is true. But the reality is when you're on difficult engagements where you have to figure stuff out and there's a lot of things going on, that is a better learning opportunity rather than going to some buttoned up audit where it's just the same stuff every single year and you're going through the motions. So I was really fortunate that I was put on these mid-market entertainment companies companies, you know, they were not the smoothest audits. I worked a ton of hours and it was tough, but it ended up kind of like, I guess, weathering me and, and helping me learn a lot. And the moment I did decide to leave EY was when the uh, I was three and a half years in. I was a senior. My teams were understaffed. So I was doing all kinds of work. I was working crazy hours. And the utilization report for the LA office came out and I was the big winner at, uh, I was number one in terms of billing percentage. And I'm looking at this and I'm feeling stressed out and no help is on the way. And I think I've learned enough. And so that was the moment I decided to start looking for, for a new role was, you know, quite frankly, I just got burned out. And my goal was not to become partner or anything like that anyway. So it felt like the, the appropriate time for me. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. And did you move on to a client or how did you get your next role? 
No, and I'll, t- I'll tell you a really bad story. I, uh, so Mark Burnett Productions, I really like the company. And what I did there was I actually took their all of their books and did a uh, cash accounting to accrual accounting conversion. And film accounting is really, really complicated. There are just a ton of challenges that go into it. But I knew it really well at that point. So I made the decision to learn to leave EY. I had already learned all about how this company operated. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I can do this job. Like I can do all of the accrual accounting for this company. So I, as a 24-year-old kid, marched into the CFO's office and said, hey, I know you're going to have to keep doing this. I would love to throw my hat in the ring for taking it over for you. I think I can do a great job. And you know, let me know if you'd be interested in that. And his response was, can't we not do that as part of the engagement letter? (laughs) Yes, that is in the engagement letter. But I am planning on leaving EY anyway. So I was wondering if it would be like appropriate. And it ended up being, no, we don't want it. I told my boss that I had done that, which blew up my independence. So she was not thrilled about that. But then I told her I'm leaving anyway. And we were really collaborative about my exit and all that good stuff. So yeah, there's like yet another example of me trying to hack my way into a really great position uh, just by approaching the CFO. But again, I had already made the decision to leave EY. So blowing up independence was, was fine at that point from my perspective. And yeah, there you go. There's another one. <laughs> You're definitely not but, risk but I, averse. Not risk averse at all. You know, what's the way, whatever, he's going to say no. Who cares? What's the worst thing? I moved on with my life. And I ended up getting a job at a pre-IPO software company by the name of Cornerstone On Demand. And I was actually choosing between two roles. There was one at more of a local audit firm and then this one at Cornerstone. And the pitch at the local audit firm was, you know, like they, they had me going with the partners and they were like, hey, we think you're partner material. We want to fast track you there. You know, you'll get here. You'll make this much money, blah, blah, blah. That was really appealing to me from a I guess, financial perspective, but not really what I was looking to do from just a, I guess, from a passion perspective. And so there was that role. And then there was a senior accountant role at Cornerstone, which paid much less, but I thought was going to be a really, really good learning opportunity because I would get to see from the trenches, what an IPO was like, what scaling an accounting department looked like and all that good stuff. And I remember calling my dad and I rarely call my dad for advice. So this was pretty unique. And so I, I just ran the two options by him. And he's like, he's like, Mike, you're explaining this to me. And it just doesn't even feel like a decision. You just, the way you described all of that, you should clearly go to Cornerstone. It gets you more excited. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's right. So took that role. And one of the best decisions I've ever made, I would not have founded Flowcast if I hadn't gone to Cornerstone. Being at a company that early and seeing it scale from, I was the 100th employee to, by the time I left, we had gone public, we had gone international, we had scaled accounting up to about 50 people. The company was at 800, 900 people. It really felt like I had accomplished a lot in my time there and was the single best learning experience I've ever had. And so I'm just so thrilled with that and so grateful that Cornerstone brought me in and let me let me help with so many different things. I think that was another important part of it is I wasn't pigeonholed into one area. I was empowered to do a lot of different types of work, which really, really helped me in my career. So how did that lead to you starting Flowcast? You've got me intrigued now. What about yeah. that experience? <laughs> Well, so Flowcast, uh, so Flowcast, we build close management software. It's software that helps with the close and reconciliation process. And when I was in the audit world, I never could understand why this was so difficult for clients. You know, I get these reconciliations to audit and it's like, guys, why is this so hard? Why does it take forever to get it to me? Why does it not tie out when I get it? Like, what's the deal? What's going on here? And then when you move over into the, the corporate accounting side, it all clicks and you're like, oh, okay. Getting the auditor a reconciliation is a small component of this person's job. They have a whole lot of other things going on. 
and accounting is understaffed and they just need help. And so as I worked in the cornerstone world, when I started and we had five people, it wasn't much of a problem. Collaborating was easy enough. We didn't have this massive balance sheet where we were sitting on thousands of reconciliations or anything like that. But that is where we started to get to as we scaled up. And so in my three years at Cornerstone, our accounting department went from five to 50 and our balance sheet went from 100 accounts to maybe 1,500 or 2,000 accounts. And that is very difficult to scale. And just one day I had the, the like classic entrepreneur moment of, oh, there's got to be a better, better way to do the close. I, uh, and I just looked around. I couldn't find anything, any software to help with it. And so decided to leave Cornerstone and start working on Flowcast. And that would have been in December of 2012 is when I left Cornerstone to start working on all this. Okay. Okay. Now, I excuse my ignorance, but is it one piece of plug-in software that Flowcast produces? Or I guess, what is the product or service per se? Yeah, so it's uh, software as a service, so totally cloud-based. And what we do is we're, we're a, so it's collaboration around the post process, which when you have 50 people working together to try to achieve one goal by a certain date is very complicated without software to help track where everybody is. So collaboration and communication is a really big part of it. And then that tie-out and reconciliation process is just so painful, and we help automate that. And the way we automate it is by integrating with the ERP directly. So we pull data over from the ERP into Flowcast. And then on the other side of the equation, we integrate with your reconciliations or we automate reconciliations. That data is in Flowcast. And so we're automating that tie-out and reconciliation process for you, which makes life significantly easier for the preparer, for the reviewer, for the auditor, for all involved. And it really allows you to kind of produce and review your reconciliations over the course of the close while it's occurring, rather than the standard behavior we see, which is letting all the reconciliations pile up until the last day and then trying to review all of them on the last day. So because of that, we help teams close way faster. Our average client cuts their close time down by about 30% in the, the first month on the application, and then it just continues to go down from there. So yeah, we sit in the middle of the different software that teams are already using. We don't replace anything. We're a new application and our background is in accounting. So we very much built it to work the way accounting departments already work, which means there's minimal implementation. It's quick adoption and all that good stuff. Okay. Well, what's your sweet spot for target market? Are, are we talking firms that use SAP and Oracle and systems at that level? Or are you in the mid-market as well? Or both? do you have a yeah, sweet spot? Uh-huh. It just kind of... Well, definitely depends on how, how you define it. We call it the mid-market, but we have clients on SAP, Oracle, NetSuite, Intact, Microsoft, like pick an ERP and we have, we have somebody using it. We have about 900 clients today. And so we call it the mid-market. And the way we define that is really based on size of the accounting department. That's actually what we look at because we found that's what generally drives the most complexity. So we're looking for accounting departments with about seven or 18 members on the really small end of the range up to... Our largest client has about 300 accountants closing out Flowcast, so quite a big range. But yeah, that's where we live. That's our sweet spot. Okay. Okay. So I know I'm, I'm jumping back and forth a little bit here, but so you said you started in December 2012. Was this just you in, in your garage or <laughs> did you have a partner yeah, or go get... Yeah. <laughs> It was me on my couch for starters. And then, yeah, so when I started the company, all the money I had was just sale of a small option grant I had gotten from Cornerstone. So 
sitting on a, a little bit of money, but you know, just enough to make me feel comfortable to quit and give myself about five or six months to figure this out. And if I couldn't figure it out in five or six months, I'd have to go get a job in accounting again. So that was kind of the deal I made myself. And my wife was super supportive of it. We were fortunate in that she did really well in the sales world. And so she was she was making enough money to keep the family afloat at that time. But you know, as an accountant, like not saving for retirement is a fairly terrifying <laughs> proposition. So <laughs> That was kind of our financial situation. And I have no engineering skills. I don't know how to build software or anything like that. So my first step was finding a CTO co-founder. And that was quite the grind. I had to reach out to a lot of people, ended up doing a lot of calls and having a lot of lunches and you know figuring out who would be a good fit. And ultimately, I began working with an engineer by the name of Cullen Zanstra. And we met in about January or February of 2013. And he val- he validated the idea. He started talking to some of the accounts he knew to see if this was a pain point. And from there, he got on board with it. We started working on the really first version of our product. And then by July of 2013, we had a beta version of the product out. We had two clients using the application. I went to a startup accelerator in LA by the name of Amplify LA and pitched them all this. And they gave us a a quick 50 grand at a really good valuation and let us join the program. And from there, I was basically full-time fundraising until we closed our $1.3 million seed round. And then we've been fundraising ever since. So you fast forward to today and we've raised a total of $93 million in venture capital, which has really allowed us to scale up and invest in product and all that good stuff. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Is your co-founder still with you? Yeah, he's still with me. He loves accounting and uh, is a serious accounting nerd now. It's been fascinating to watch uh, watch all this develop. He'll, he'll tell you about how to reconcile amortization schedules and all that good stuff now. <laughs> That's a good partner, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and my third, I do have a second co-founder, a guy by the name of Chris Flutie, and he's the one I met at Syracuse. So we lived together. We majored in accounting together. He's always known that I'm entrepreneurial. And if I you know, went to start my own company, he wanted to be involved. And it was just perfect that he has domain expertise. He, he somehow made it an audit for eight years. And then when I told him I was starting Flowcast, he hopped on board. And he's really overseen our customer success from day one and then was heavily involved in product. And about six months ago, we moved him full-time into a chief product officer role for us. So he oversees our customer support and our product. And then uh, Colin, our CTO, really oversees engineering. And then I kind of focus on the rest of the business. So I'm the CFO, help with all the go-to-market stuff and operations as well. Okay. Now, you mentioned to me that you have at least one book and a podcast as well. And they're along the lines of building your career up to controller or CFOs. Let's talk about those because that kind of career growth content is always interesting to me. Which one should we discuss first? Well, we can kick it off with the podcast uh I guess. But yeah, I agree. I love this stuff. I think career career planning is and growth is super important. And I, I love that we're able to, to share this information. So the CPA to CFO podcast, that's one where I just grab some random CFOs and we do quick one-on-one interviews, very similar to this, where we talk through their career. And the reason I wanted to start that one is because when I got into the accounting world, you know, I was sitting there like, all right, my goal is to become a CFO one day. But I realized over time, and then it really, really hit me with Flowcast is that I had no idea what a CFO actually does. And what really, really hit me is that accounting is actually a very small part of the CFO's job at this point. And so once I realized that, I was like, oh man, I can't imagine I was the only auditor who thought this way. And I want to be able to help people to really understand what it takes to get to this position. 
information. And so that was the catalyst for it. And it's been fascinating. You know, you find that people who have no background in accounting, sometimes no background in finance even, find themselves in the CFO position. And the actual job responsibilities are just very different than what I had thought previously. And part of that is because the role of the CFO has evolved over the last 10 years. And a CFO today, it feels like they're almost expected to do what the CEO was doing when I got into this world in 2006. So yeah, within the last 14 or 15 years, it feels like that CFO job has evolved, has become more complicated with a lot more responsibility. And I wanted to get that information out to the accounting community so they could plan their careers accordingly. That would be good for our audience as well. What's the name of it again? Yeah, it's called CPA to CFO. You know, I don't necessarily interview all former CPAs about the CFO position. The goal is to get help get CPAs to that CFO position. So people from all types of backgrounds. And, you know, if you're going to, two episodes I would encourage you to start with would be actually the first one with uh, Rob Krolik. The guy just has an unbelievable background. Really, really, he took eBay public, he took PayPal public. It's a super impressive background and Yelp as well. And then the other one would be a gentleman by the name of Lee Ray Mundo, because he is just like a prime example of a very fascinating background to get to the CFO position and not one you would expect, but killer CFO and just a guy that uh, I respect very much. Okay. I'm just curious, are they pretty much all tech kind of pre-IPO <laughs> CFOs or, or do you interview people from across the U.S.? Uh, some, I mean, yeah, it is a lot of tech, like work well in that area. But for example, you know, I had a CFO from a company named iGraphics on. They do, so it's a content company down in Texas. So we, we have moved around, but no, it is a lot of tech. Okay. And that's fine too. I was just curious if it was even more niched. That's interesting. So then the book is on the topic of growing to controller. Is that right? Yeah. So the book is called The Controller's Code, The Secret Formula to a Successful Career in Finance. And kind of similar to the idea of a CFO, how to get to the controller position, but also how to remain relevant in that role going forward and the skills that people are going to need to acquire today to be a really successful CFO in, you know, call it five to 10 years out in the future still. And that that job is also evolving really rapidly. And so we, we thought this type of information would be helpful for the community. Beautiful. Yeah, I need to check those out because you're right. There's definitely a misconception, particularly earlier in our careers, that what it takes to become controller is just some, you know, really good technical skills. And then a CFO is, is simply an ultra controller and neither one of those are, are correct, but. Yeah, neither is true. And yeah, you can almost argue the controller operates more like a CFO did 10 years ago now. And that's a whole lot of responsibility. So the, the book felt really appropriately timed and excited that we got that up. Definitely. So what do you enjoy most about your career at this point? Cause Flowcast has been around over seven years. So obviously it's grown quite a bit. You were telling us about that. What do you enjoy yeah. most? Depends on the, the job. I mean, I love learning and just personally, I love learning and growing. And so having gone through all three of those jobs, you know, Ernst & Young, Cornerstone and Flowcast have all offered different learning opportunities for me. And I've been able to position myself to be around people who have been great mentors for me and help me learn. So I that is probably my favorite part of all of this is just like figuring out a way to get better and you know, not to toot my own horn or anything like this, but I do think it's fair to say that today I am a much better CEO than I was when I started Flowcast. And that's just been trial and error and then having great, great mentors to lean on. And this is really weird. Uh, it's going to sound odd, but I get really proud when 
employees of ours or former employees of ours land really good jobs at other companies. For some reason, that makes me really happy because there are people who came to us and when you join a startup at 20 or 30 people, you're really taking a risk on a company. And so I appreciate the heck out of anyone who joined us uh, really early. And then it's been amazing that our success as a company, as Flowcast, we now have a brand in the LA area where my employees are sought after by other tech companies. And so they're able to land jobs at great, great companies. And, and something about that gives me a lot of pride that we've been able to produce great people who are going to go out and make a big impact in the LA ecosystem at large. And you know, that uh, sucks to lose good people, but at the same time, there's something weird about it that makes me very proud. But uh, oddly enough, a cool thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, you're doing a lot of right things if that's happening. Uh, you're right, it's a little painful, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you're doing a lot of right things. Good deal. Good deal. I'm curious, given what you know now, you know, with your start in the big four and, you know, an industry and starting your own firm and just dramatically growing that, looking back, if you could give your younger self one piece of critical advice, what do you think that might be? I would say be a little more open to other ideas. I, I was fairly bullheaded heading into this. In fact, uh, to the point where one of my early investors just straight up told me that. And so that's been a, an important learning experience for me, you know, knowing that, yeah, I'm, I'm not always right. I need to be open to other people's ideas and not necessarily just like argumentative out the gate. So that is something I, you know, and that's a tough one for me to even say out loud, but that is something I've learned over the years. And it's, it's still difficult for me to balance. And as we've scaled as an organization, I just have to be more hands off. And that's, that's challenging for me. But it's something that, yeah, I've learned along the way. So I, I guess don't be quite as opinionated and, and bullheaded and just trust that other people know what the heck they're talking about. And you hire them for a reason and let them go do their thing. It's generous of you to be open with that. So <laughs> thank you. <Yeah. laughs> well, I end every podcast with the same three questions and I want to get to those. One last thing, though, what's your vision for Flowcast? And what I mean by that is if things go like you would like them to go over the next, you know, two, three, five years, what does that look like? So what all that looks like is in three years, we will be uh, filing for our IPO and going public. And then in five or six years, we are the clear leader in the space and the uh, de facto solution for closed management software. And I am enabling accountants to leave at 5 p.m. every day and still get their clothes done on time. Wow. Savior of the industry. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do like, I just work so many hours in this world. Like for context, you know, I, I just mentioned that I had the highest utilization rate at EY when I left. Went over to Cornerstone pre-IPO and I worked more hours than I did at EY. Those hours, it just accelerates your learning, which is cool on the one hand, but it also burns you out and is so stressful. So, you know, how can we provide the best of both worlds? And I think it's uh, by building great software that automates a lot of the tedious work that doesn't add learning to your career and allows you to focus on the, the stuff that's a little bit more thought-provoking and can help you as a, you know, move up in your career. So that's, it is very personal for me. I want to like help people leave earlier yet still learn a lot at work. And I feel like we're, we're marching towards that and, and getting there. And so I'm really excited about it. And it all, it all felt like a pipe dream five years ago, but it's starting to feel very real at this point. It's exciting stuff. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions, and you hit on some of this already, but just in case there's more detail or a different answer to these specific questions, I do want to go through them. First one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? It happened, or it's 
happening today, actually. So, well, well, it kind of happened yesterday. It's happening today. So my former company, Cornerstone, one of the most painful things to me is that since I left, they have been using our competitor. And that just kills me because like quite literally, Flowcast was built for Cornerstone, like built with Cornerstone in mind. And we lost that deal before we had a product and they've been on it forever. And it's, there's been internal politics and it just kills me. This absolutely kills me. Yesterday, I got the call from the CEO that they're going to be moving over to Flowcast now. And so getting my old company to churn off my competitor and hop on Flowcast and I, me getting the call specifically from the CEO to congratulate me on that, that is, yes, it's my new proudest and most gratifying moment at Flowcast. Huh. Well, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, you know, we've closed 93 million in funding. I couldn't care less. This means so much more to me. It's really, it's really personal. And I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we closed the round or we did this or whatever. It's like, no, getting, getting my own company on Flowcast is just an unbelievable feeling. That's awesome. You know, we've done over 175 episodes of this podcast now. And so there's not a lot of first, but this is the first where we've had someone's proudest moment be the same day, you know, that we were recording. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm literally waiting for the contract to come through at any second. <laughs> it might come through in the middle of this podcast, actually. <laughs> Too cool. Well, second question. And there again, if you've already alluded to this, that's fine. But tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's really what we're after is the learning experience. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've learned, and it, it really goes into the, the venture world as well, is to have conviction in your ideas and be willing to stand up to people and say no. So, you know, like earlier I had said I was a little bit bullheaded and that was some feedback I got. It definitely depends on the audience I have and who I'm meeting with, uh, kind of how bullheaded I am. And early on as an accountant, you know, in the venture community, I was viewed as who the heck is this accountant? Who thinks he's going to be able to start his own company? You know, accountants aren't entrepreneurs. Why would I ever give this person money? And I dealt with that stereotype for a long time through through three rounds of funding until we got to the point as a business where the numbers spoke for themselves and the market spoke for, the, for itself. And then I just kind of became much more confident in our opportunity. And so now when I go and pitch VCs or chat with CFOs or anything, there's a lot more conviction. And I realized that people at that level actually appreciate that. They don't want a bunch of, of yes people running their companies. They want people who have their own ideas, will stand behind their ideas and are good ideas. And that's something that, yeah, I just like figured that out. It's just, I think, one round of funding too late. And I'm, I'm excited I've come to that conclusion at this point. And it, it just requires, it required some success and some confidence and, and learning how to play the game a little bit. But it's been super important. And when I'm talking to investors and then also when I'm helping my sales team close deals, I chat with CFOs pretty often to, to help put the final touches on, on contracts. And so it's been very helpful in those situations. And the other one is, I don't know if I learned it the hard way. It was just a, a learning experience that I want to just throw out there for everyone is when I started Flowcast, I was terrified of public speaking. Like I did not want to get up and talk in front of anybody. You fast forward seven years, public speaking is one of my favorite things now. Like this whole work from home thing is killing me because I love being up in front of an audience and like feeling the energy and having that go on. And 
The only reason I got to this point is I took Toastmasters. So for starters, so I highly, highly recommend any accountant does Toastmasters. And then you just do it enough. You speak enough to where you get really comfortable doing it. And then you gain confidence. And once you get the confidence, you're good to go and you're off and running. And the reason I recommend it for everyone on the line is because to move up in your career, whether that's to a controller role or a CFO role, you will be presenting. And presentation skills are arguably the most important thing for moving up in your career. It sucks, <laughs> but someone who presents but is a bad accountant will get promoted over somebody who is an excellent accountant but doesn't present well. People call that politics and they think it's lame. That's just the reality of the situation and you got to get used to it and you have to embrace it and go get good at public speaking to overcome that. That's so true. It's brutal, but it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it, no, it, it sucks. But like, you know, the reality is if you're a good, confident public speaker, that instills confidence in the people listening to you. And if, if you have a big opportunity as a, as a controller to present in front of the board, that's an opportunity that if you just go in and, and you, you crush that, that could help you make really big strides in your career. Well said. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? This is from my mentor and first investor, a gentleman by the name of Rob Meinhart. Just in with almost every business decision we make and you know, any HR conversations, he I mean it's not, you know, it's nothing crazy, but just whenever I ask him about how do you how should I communicate this, blah, 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 whatever, he just he goes, Man, the truth shall set you free. Just tell it like it is. Be honest. You have logic for why you're making different decisions, just explain it and people will be okay with it. And he's so spot on. So I've taken this stance of just like extreme transparency with my company. We talk about everything that's going on. And yeah, I have confidence that the decisions I'm making for our business are in the best interest of the business. And I think any good employee would understand why we're making decisions, you know, even if they're difficult ones. And it's generally this truth sell that you free concept applies to having difficult conversations. But when you do it, it's just the right people respond the right way. And it's built a, a really strong culture within our company of people who, who get business and, you know, want to build the best company possible and also appreciate transparency from the CEO. So yeah, I would say that's the big one is the truth shall set you free with almost everything. That's good leadership advice. Yeah. <laughs> and very applicable yeah. in the fast growth startup world, I'm sure. <laughs> It really is like right now, it's probably more important than ever with work from home and all the layoffs going on with coronavirus coming around. And so this is a time where if I were not communicative or if I were shady with my employees, that there would just be the assumption would be bad news. So I have to get up there and talk about the good and the bad about what's going on with us for everyone to really understand and, and not just operate from an assumed stance of fear. Yes. Well, thank you. This has been good. If people want to find out more about Flowcast, I don't want to make any assumptions. So where's the best place to go online? So flowcast.com. And yeah, you, you nailed it up front. We have a really weird name. Naming companies is not my specialty. So the way you spell it is F-L-O-Q-A-S-T.com. Uh, and if you want to connect with me, you know, feel free. It's Mike Whitmire. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. We can get connected. More than happy to chat about career stuff. I love this topic. So Beautiful. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you making time for this. This has been fun. So thank you very much. Yeah. No, this has been great. I love that we were able to get synced up and chat about stuff that we're both passionate about. This is awesome. Well, that was our interview with Mike Whitmire of Flowcast. I don't know about you, but I just love 
entrepreneurial stories, and particularly when they involve the use of our accounting backgrounds to do something just a little different. I mean, what a great story. It really goes to prove all the different things you can do when you start with a background in accounting. If you found value in this episode for yourself, please check us out on social media. We have a LinkedIn page, a Facebook page, of course. If you're inclined to follow either one of those, if you don't mind sharing out some of the posts, we really appreciate it. It helps more people find us. We've been doing this for over three and a half years now, and things are going well, but hey, we always appreciate each and every additional follower. And for those of you that have already followed the pages or shared out the content, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. If you're looking to grow your own career, one publication that may interest you is one of our books, 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career, particularly if you're early on. In our conversation with Mike, we got into to career advice there a little bit. If you enjoyed that, you'll enjoy the content in this book as well. You can find it on Amazon. And once again, it's titled 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers podcast. We'll see you soon. There's more to come.